Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. Welcome back to the GC On Demand, folks. Uh, my name is Eric Wright. I'm the usual host here. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Disco Posse. I'm also Disco Posse in the Green Circle community, so just go to greencirclecommunity.com. Uh, we also post the show notes for the GC On Demand there. We are especially happy. Today is another day where I get to bring back a return guest. The, the beauty part about doing this more often is that I get to, to continue conversations uh, with folks who uh, are doing this stuff you know, out in the wild. We've talked a lot about different concepts, different ideas, and, and tackling some of the challenges that are being faced by the IT and, and business industry. And I'm lucky enough to have regular conversations with, uh, with Rob Hirschfeld, who Rob is rejoining us today. Uh, so Rob, if you want to reintroduce yourself to the audience, if they didn't catch our earlier one, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about sort of the second stage and our first concept about SRE and the Spiraling Ops Debt Challenge. Oh, one of my favorite topics. So my name is Rob Hirschfeld. I'm CEO and co-founder of RackN. Uh, RackN is a company that specializes in hybrid infrastructure automation. So we love to make the mess of IT work in a, in a consistent and repeatable way. Uh, we run a project called Digital Rebar, uh, where we, you know, it's our open source side, where we, we really try and engage with the community of people who want to participate. Uh, in making ops suck less, uh, sort of a negative, uh, make ops <laughs> better. Uh, you can find me online. I'm Zico online. I tweet and blog and post a whole bunch of things, um, especially lately around SRE uh, and Racken. My company has been ta taking that and all the content we can find about SREs and creating a weekly blog post summary. So uh, visit our site at Racken.com. Subscribe to that. Um, there, hopefully, you found this post that way. But we have tons of videos all sorts of links go all in on on sre nice yeah and, and you've what i love about the idea of you know obviously conceptually you know we've talked a lot we we lock in on a lot of the uh, concepts and knowing that what you're facing out in the industry is this sort of challenge of are people kind of ready for this next style or, or methodology uh, and, you know, conceptually people kind of dig in and then there's the practice of getting it up and running. And, and I'm always interested in how we bridge that gap. And we've talked before yeah. and the last conversation, uh, which again, I encourage folks to roll back and they can, they can listen to the previous episode. How are things going in your conversations sort of over the last three months now, since that last chat in people getting the SRE concept, and maybe if you want to even just give a quick brief recap on, on what, what is SRE? What's the what is SRE? elevator pitch on SRE? Uh, so SRE means, uh, in, in traditional definition, site reliability engineering. It's a Google term. It's actually a term from before Google, but it, it's basically a, Google wrote a book uh, last year at the end of the year defining site reliability engineering, how Google runs infrastructure, um, and they, they sort of took operator to a whole nother level with automation expectations and defect budget and pay equity, all these really important concepts because 
Google realized if they weren't operating you know, at a whole nother level than anybody else ever had been, then they, wouldn't, they couldn't run their sites, they couldn't keep things going. Um, they couldn't bring up data centers fast enough. They were always falling behind. This is that ops debt problem. And so if they, they weren't getting ahead of their debt, their technical debt, they were not going to be able to keep the sites up. Reliability would suffer if operational debt was up there. And then since then, um, a lot of companies now have SRE teams. I see SRE consulting teams. Uh, there are people who don't like the term at all. I did a, a nice like five-minute uh, debate with uh, Charity Majors about SRE, and she says, too googly, and uh, I don't <laughs> like site. It should be systems, or it should be ops engineering. So the term itself, get over it. It's like serverless. Yes, serverless uses servers. Uh, <laughs> it, the, 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 it's, it is SRE. That's the term. Um, and so if you get past that, I think, and look at it as this redefinition of ops and tech ops and DevOps as an actual operational role, um, you know, the DevOps team type thing, SRE encapsulates that in a very useful way. And I, I think we do get lost in the semantics of stuff a lot, which I truly feel like it's one of the biggest hurdles. Like my favorite thing is I get into a conversation with somebody and we say like, you know, we shouldn't belabor this point, which is followed by 45 minutes of discussion on that point. And yeah. it's just the, it's like the habit. We are the, we just love pain for some reason in discussions in our industry. Well, it's, I, I get really sad when I see a conversation where somebody walks in and goes, I'm a DevOps engineer, and everybody in the room groans, and somebody stands up with an axe and, and starts hacking on that poor person for saying, you know, DevOps isn't a job, it's a system, it's a process, it's a culture, it's a cargo cult, ah, yeah. <laughs> all these things. And, and so I, I really, those aren't productive, right? They're, they, they're using that word because they're trying to solve a problem. And that's what I loved in, in our conversations. That's what we focus on, the problem, right? The technology of it and the tools and some of the process and the culture. Yeah, we have this, we, we have a problem, I think, in, in society, you know, this, this idea that we can solve everything in three minute hunks. Like it's, it's the reason why cable news has monstrous amounts of, of revenue because people love digging into the argument. They love the idea that you're like, ah, we're going to solve the definition of SRE right now. And then you're like, in three minutes, they're like, okay, well, anyways, on to the next subject. You're like, no, there's no way we can approach the subject. <laughs> when you try and have long form conversations it's tough to get the audience to hang around for that. And I think this is a struggle as a, the conference industry faces this challenge too. You know, I've, I've got an upcoming event and they said like, we've got, you've got a 15 minute session and we want to make sure it's deeply technical. And I just, <laughs> I'm like, you know how this My goes. My soul just died in that <laughs> comment. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that in itself is problem one, right? Like just understanding the, and agreeing to the definition which then slows the start of the real conversation. But as you get yeah. past that, Rob, what is, where do people kind of, they love what the SRE concept is, whatever, you know, whatever we're going to call it. And what are the challenges that you're finding in your conversations with people kind of accepting that that's the way to go or a way to go? Uh, so, so what you actually just defined is the SRE challenge in my book. Uh, in my, my opinion, I haven't written the book yet, in my opinion. Um, and it's, it's this, um, I want to own the world and I have to 
but I don't know where to start. So a lot of what, what we see in market um, is the need for this three minutes to value work. Uh, as a matter of fact, we took our whole big product and we cut it down to something that you can demo in three minutes, um, which is insanely hard. And Especially when a lot you're of the doing what part. you're doing, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, but what we did was we re, re, re looked at it, and we and this is SRE. I'll I'll, I'll connect the two in a second, um, and not just give you product pitch. But we did it because of this SRE problem, right? We started with um, this big integrated system, and we broke it into a provision stage, a control stage, and an orchestration stage that you can do incremental learning, like a video game, right? You can, you can walk in and, and learn level one and then get to level two and then level three. What we see in SREs is companies hire DevOps people or SREs at this sort of architecture level, and the arch they walk in and they do all this product evaluation. They're like, we have to be automated. We're going to have CI/CD pipelines for our ops teams. And, I mean, these are great, important, valuable things to do. And that's what, that's what sort of people are, are branding SRE teams right now, or SRE architects. And those, 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 you know, people ride in on their horse with their armor, and they sit down with the tech ops people who are actually running the data center, or the operators who haven't gotten the promotion and the pay raise that the SRE guy got, or gal. And they, and they say, no, I, you can't automate all of this stuff. It's connected to everything. It, you know, it has all these dependencies and has this hair and mold growing on it that is growing on it because last time we lifted up this rock, there was a snake, so we don't lift that rock anymore. <laughs> um, and, and so the SREs there saying, I know that we don't even want a rock. <laughs> get it, get rid of it. You know, we're, we're, we want a grassy field here. Um, and so the, the challenge that we see in SREs and where, where we're having these conversations, it's very similar to the sort of DevOps collective uh, hug festivals that Dev DevOps days can become. And I mean that in a really positive way, but a lot of times you go to a DevOps days and people talk about culture and convincing people to use DevOps and all this stuff. And because they don't know how to start the cycle. SREs are, are the conversation can't just be automate all things, go, here's my rainbow, here's my unicorn, thank you. Yeah. It has to be, here's a shovel, here's a pick, right? Let's help you move through this technical debt where we're replacing a cobbler boot provision system with something that's API driven, does the same function, but it, ha it doesn't have a ceiling on it, right? Where I can then plug it into the next things. And this is where our attention span uh, on, you know, I need to get deep technical content in 15 minutes is actually in some ways very relevant. It's like, I need to be able to fix this problem in a way that's forward looking without, you know, taking months to do it or a hundred million dollars and, you know, disrupting all of my business processes. Um, I think one this, of the, this is literally our challenge. The, and the one that I always, I, I feel and this is not a, not a shot against the platform. It's just a challenge that I've personally bumped into. If I see anybody that says like, here's a completely platform agnostic approach to solving something. All you do is you run brew install. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second here. I'm like, I don't know if you know what platform agnostic is for one thing. I'm like, and it, it, it just me, cause I've, I've run into tons of challenges in trying to keep 
a very clean base environment and even getting, I've had challenges getting homebrew working on a Mac. And then the first thing I think is even if I get it working, I've got a ton of audience that I speak with regularly and, you know, customer side and community side and, and they're Windows advocates, they're Windows users, you know, they're VMware users. And they, they come from all these different platforms. And I think we have to, getting to the start line is probably one of the most difficult things. And I'm with you in the idea that when you look at what goes on at DevOps days and, and open source, you know, OSCONs and all these things, it's, we are really celebrating cool, great things that have been accomplished, but it just feels like it's way too far down the road for people to, to dip their toes in. And that's where I have trouble is getting people to like first agree conceptually that, and I think we fairly broadly agree. You know, open right. source tools are the right way to go. You know, the immutable systems are the right way to go. Like we're, we're all kind of digging in and we, I think we can, we all nod our way through that. You don't have <laughs> yep. to argue it anymore, but then choosing the one or one of them. And I think, do you think it's because this, there aren't enough aged out solutions that we can't argue about how it didn't go well yet? You know, like, hmm. Aged out. Um, Just the idea that if, if no one's seen, someone loves to watch it fail to then know that the next thing is being done as a, as a learning from the last failure. And it's like all the failures yeah. are cultural so far. <laughs> and maybe that's why well, it's the product. In, in, in some cases, every system fails. Um, and this, this is, to me, one of the... the hard mentalities of, of any deployment and we're, we're all in this go, go, go mentality. Every system has a learning curve in it where you get past the quick start, you get past the first trial that's, that fits. And now you're trying to fit your piece of stuff into that and it won't. And you're going to have to, the system's going to have to be elastic enough and you're going to have to be flexible enough to sort of carve off those edges. Um, and that's just part of this process. So every Every application that's going to be useful and survive the test of time is going to go through this, you know, they call it the trophic disillusionment type process um, where you feel like this doesn't work for me, I'm, I'm out, where this worked for me, but I had to change some of me and some of it to go through that process. I mean, OpenStack is classically in that place where it does what it needs to do actually pretty well now, but there were a whole bunch of people who got to that point and it was like, ah, oh, it's too big an effort. Da, moving to the next thing. <laughs> yes. And we're in a, we're in a world where we're moving to the next thing all the time. Um, except actually this is the, this is a fun except. So when we talk about DevOps and developers, developers love to do that. They're like, ah, oh, this didn't work. I'm switching to Node.js for all my development. I'm done with Golang. It's old hat. I'm uh, and, and you know, Node.js got, got crazy. We switched to rust. <laughs> um, right, and we see that, and it's you know bright and shiny, and, and and people do that. The 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 reality for an operator is they have a lot more legacy, they have a lot more um, things they have to move in order to do that. Right, I, I see a lot of data centers that have archaeological layers of infrastructure that somebody bought because it was going to be the new shiny thing and it solved a problem. Um, often top down. And what we see when we talk to people now is the top-down pressures aren't as effective, right? Bringing in the new UCS, VMware integrated SAN infrastructure for, you know, just shoving it down people's throats and dropping it into the data center is not as attractive <laughs> um, or, you know, as it used to be. 
operators are coming back and saying, you know what, I, I don't need, you know, maybe this is a good solution, let's see, but we can't bring in yet more stuff. Um, we have to figure out a consistent operational pattern. That's what I hope. That's what SRE thinking is supposed to be doing, right? Operators, to an extent, don't have power in their organizations. They don't have the status to resist. SREs, and if you're, if you're calling yourself an SRE and you don't have the power to resist, then you need to rethink whether, how your SRE is structured. By definition, SRE has the power to throw a flag on the play, say no, stop, right, fix something. Um, that's a big part of how, what SRE thinks. It's why it's an engineering role. It's not a plumbing role, right? It's not just a plumbing role. Yeah, and it, do you think that, you know, one of the things that everybody's going to face when they try and take that on, like you said, is this top-down pressure. And the classic, it's like, all right, it's it's July 20th or it's June 20th, say, and, and, you know, hey, look, I just got a call. And, look, if we re-up on this by end of month, we can get a 60% discount. <laughs> like, where we as operators and as, as, you know, infrastructure owners are facing that the quarterly pressure, which is enticing, right? Obviously, it's, it, it works. There's a reason we psychologically do that as yeah. vendors to customers. Like this, this artificial deadline that gets created like, oh, you know, if you re-up now, it's the vacuum salesperson of like, oh, you know, let me just call my, call my boss. And like, you know, you're, you're listening to him saying like, well, I, hey, boss, they just can't do it. You know, they're just not ready. You know, maybe Electrolux isn't, isn't the family for them. And, What's that? I can give them 20, 25% off. And all he's hearing is, wah, 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 as he's like talking into your phone. So yeah. we've got these artificial deadlines, which kind of defer the ability for us to change our practices. Do you, do you see that as an impediment to it? Maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm too much of a naysayer. I'm too jaded. <laughs> well, I, I do think that, you know, yeah, the idea of vendor cost is a factor, but, most people I talk to, they're much more time constrained than money constrained. Um, although we get into crazy head tricks of I just spent you know a week trying to save you know a, 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 a ten minute cycle on a VM uh, because it adds up. Uh, and those are I mean none of those are, are lies, but it, it's this interesting balance of what what we pay um, and balance time versus complexity versus actual monetary savings. It is really helpful to be in month-to-month -month type um, arrangements, and I think a lot of companies want to talk like that now, rather than you know my VMware license is just re-upped and I'm I'm stuck for another year. Um, I hear about plenty of forced data center moves. Um, those are the most deadly thing that I see where you're basically being forced out of an infrastructure to move an infrastructure and then you shift and lift it or yeah, um, that's not that's not technical debt. That's that's technical credit default swaps. Is really <laughs> well said. Uh, it you generate a ton of technical debt in in those types of forced actions. Um, but the way it feels to me in talking to operators, and and I would love to hear from audience if they how they get out of this trap because I it's this is we just need group therapy on this one. Is um, they're always so far behind that there is no action an operator takes that doesn't create debt. Um, it's, you know, the, the magic of what Google did was they had a 50-50 ops dev budget for our operators, or really ops automation budget. Right. 
Um, and they said, look, if you're not doing 50%, 50% is important. If half of your time isn't going into making your, the other half of your job more automated, then we, you will never catch up. Um, it's not an arbitrary thing, right? As soon as you spend 60% of your time operating and 40% develop or automating, you are now getting behind on an exponential basis. So you have to find a way out of that trap. That requires a level of investment that most companies I've talked to really don't make. Um, or it requires a level of vendor, using a vendor or using licensed software or using, you know, help, having, hiring somebody to help you use open source software to get ahead of that curve. Um, One of the things and, I, I, is very, very true and it's, it really, the tough part is like, I'm, I'm always like, I'm preaching to the choir and I am the choir to which you preach, right? Like we, we, <laughs> we definitely agree on the concepts and I, and yeah. again, I, I kind of think of what's the other side of the, of the challenge. And, and that's why I love going out in the field all the time and finding out. And like, I want to help people to bridge that gap. And I know it's just raw mathematics, right? Just the same way that, you know, I, I keep relatively fit. And the reason I'm able to do so is because I know it's raw mathematics. I consume less than I I use in resources, right? I, you work more, exercise more, consume less. It's a fairly simple way to manage your, your weight load. And it's that same raw mathematics, but then there's the psychological reality of most people aren't ready to either accept it or the same way with, with monsters weight loss is it's tough for them to see the value early. And so people tend to bail out rapidly. Right. Well, that's, I think this is like the SRE dilemma, right? You're looking at the, the picture of the, the totally fit and toned person that you want to be, right? The beach pictures and looking at how you get there and it's hard, right? It takes time and persistence and you have to get into uh, your ideal shape, um, which isn't a beach picture for, you know, we're, we're not, we're not all supermodels. We don't want to be. Um, that's, and so uh, this analogy got stretched way too thin. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm like, I, I, I hear a blog <laughs> coming out right now. I'm thinking of it. <laughs> uh, so, right. Cause, cause that's, that's not, this isn't really how we want people to think about it. Um, but yeah, you know, the exercise mentality is a good one. The, the thing that, that I see tripping SREs up and people who want to get into an SRE framework is just, they have this huge appetite for, I just can't avoid these analogies, but they have this huge desire to get into this end state. And that first set of actions they need to take feels overwhelming or, or they end up more broken. Um, and that's so right. Um, this is, uh, I'll, I'll go back to this, the analogy. You're like, all right, I'm going to get into this shape and I'm going to go run a marathon. And so my first day I run 10 miles, I blow out my ACL and I'm in bed. Yeah with the opposite. And so you see these projects where somebody's like, Oh, I, I wanted to do this big deployment, automate all things and everything like that. And it fails. And then the whole team goes, we just lost, you know, hundred thousand dollars in a couple of months and everybody's now pissed off and the SRE quits in disgrace and goes, find another, goes find another job. Um, and worse, I think is while they do it, they look and they say, uh, you know, Ansible failed. 
because that was the product we decided to use to achieve this goal and the goal was not reached. So therefore it is the fault of the tool or the platform, right? It's, that's another one that's even worse than just that culturally we didn't get the hit, but then we, we blame in oh, you blame toolkit. Tool, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I, that's totally a fair, a fair statement and a challenge from that perspective. It's why DevOps and SRE are actually really well related. DevOps is about systems thinking and, you know, working across your organization to get something done. Um, and that's, that is literally what you're describing. It's a systems problem. Um, it, it's hard. We, we really struggled with this, right? We felt like we built, um, this fully, because people have, you know, SREs came up to us and like, I need a fully automated data center that, you know, I can, I can push a button and the whole system will deploy on every infrastructure. And, you know, being good listeners, we went out and built that. <laughs> and I, we did. I, it's demonstrably true. And, and then you, you turn around and, and they show that to their team and their team goes, I, I don't want to create a, I, we have systems that do half of those things. What are you talking about? I, that, no. Um, and, and it's not that the goal was wrong. It's just there was no onboarding path. There was no incremental place where you could say, you know, you're really dependent on these Kickstart templates because they do things you need them to do. Getting rid of your, your, your Kickstart templates isn't winning. Um, or at least it's not winning in the first day. It might be winning three months from now when you actually can decompose it into standard pieces and, and not have a custom kickstart. I was just way down the weeds. Hopefully, if or, yeah, I'm going to pause for a second and assume, not assume people know what kickstart is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's part of the perfect time. Uh, if you, the challenge you've got there, right? Which, and you, you, I like the way you call it big dreams, small dreams. Like this is this interesting challenge of the approach and, and, how do we, what is that, you know, explain to folks what, why you use that analogy and, and, and how do we get to some of those, those first steps? Cool. Um, so the way, the way all, so what we do is, is we do, we boot provision infrastructure. So our, our battle scars um, from way back in the pre OpenStack days were that since every customer we went to, every ops environment was different. We ended up, basically deploying solutions in custom ways, right? If you fast forward to how OpenStack is, you have a whole bunch of custom deployments. Um, there's no community, there's you know, no real community around shared infrastructure and shared scripts and re code reuse at the ops level. And, um, and so, you know, from a big dreams perspective, everybody wants to have, you know, these fully automated, you know, pipeline infrastructures that they can pull, you know, download, deploy OpenStack and push a button and run OpenStack deploys. The reality that, in, that breaks that is they have a naming convention on their servers that doesn't conform to what the script writer did. Um, and it doesn't conform with, you know, it, you know, 40% of the rest of the market either. Um, and they can't change that because it's an operational need. They could, but they don't want to, or if they did, it would, you know, there's all sorts of good reasons why there's operational variance. Right. Um, and, and, you know, actually, and that's a really important starting point. You, <laughs> if you assume that people are operating their data center are really stupid and they just don't know, and you're going to walk in and show them the right way to run a data center, you failed. <laughs> yeah, um, it's going to end poorly. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's the type of hubris that we don't want. 
Um, so what you know what we did was we 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 learned that we have to we have to work with people to figure out that their operational processes are working for them, for whatever reasons. And a lot of times people don't like them, but they're there and they need to accept they they accept them. It's sort of like all right, um, you know, I don't like drinking coffee every morning, but I keep doing it. Um, but <laughs> and so I actually I love coffee. It's great. Um, but the idea here is, is that. Uh, you have to work through the small dreams idea of helping people where they are. You have to be able to adapt to, you know, they have working kickstarts or BIOS configurations, or they have working processes. Uh, you know, they don't own their DHCP server. They don't own their network configuration. Those are all realities of, of how people operate. Every one of those decisions makes it very difficult to create a uniform, shareable uh, data center automation platform. Right. That's why Amazon is so big, right? It's, you don't get a choice. You comply with Amazon's infrastructure or you go somewhere else. You run it yourself. Um, and that's, that, it's just like Windows was back in the nineties. Um, you wrote to Windows. You use Windows. It was what everybody had. It, that's it, right. Whether right it, or wrong, that was, you were locked in. <laughs> it, it, it created a market just like Amazon creates a market where you can say, look, if you use Amazon, it works just like this. Um, what, what I think is that we, you know, we were trying to help people in data centers who don't have that luxury um, work incrementally upwards. And the way you do that is you start at the most foundational level. So what we realized was that if you can help people pixie boot, which is the network boot of a server in a, in a composable way so that they can take their uniqueness and use shared libraries wherever possible, which could be zero on day one. <laughs> uh, if, if they can start somewhere and then slowly pull out their unique pieces and swap in shared pieces, right? Not a, not a binary switch, but this incremental switch. And then you can drive people towards more and more shared automation, uh, better, better shared practices, better, better pieces. Um, doing that in a product is super hard. Um, because you literally have to build a scaffolding, which is what we, which is what digital rebar is becoming. And then inside that scaffolding, the content is a mix of, you know, shared community content, proprietary content, uh, site unique content. And then what you want to help people do is, is, you know, gradually move the markers from one category to the other category until the only thing they have left that's unique to their site are things that are truly value added pieces. Um, I know in ops right now, most people's ops infrastructure has a lot of custom code that has nothing value added unique to their business. And that's not sustainable. That's a problem. It's funny that we're so good at writing custom, you know, terrifying custom scripts and code, but we're not very good at, at writing documentation <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. on those very terrifying custom scripts. And here's my concern for the folks that are trying to solve this challenge is do you reach a point where the, not just the psychology cultural challenge is fighting you back, but other, you know, large Borg style vendors, you know, have, they have a vested interest in you not solving that challenge because it may upend them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, this was, one of the things um, I saw when I was at Dell, um, and there's a reason. There's a reason for this because it gets hard really fast. 
right? Dell will sell you servers. They don't sell you a lot of operational assistance to go with those servers unless it's just consulting, right? Um, because of exactly this problem that each customer has, has gotten unique enough that it's, it's, it's a problem. And they certainly don't sell you operational support that works with other vendors. Um, and then you see the same thing that you know, data center providers are, are struggling to get into the more managed business, right? Either they own, own all of you and provide your IT outsourcing, or they just give you a ping, uh, ping power and pipe and a rack, and then you own it. Um, this is, it's, it's, a, it's a very funny gray zone where you can help somebody in a repeatable way, but not have to force fit, make them force fit uh, what you do. Yeah, and I think we, we're seeing more, it's really like a wake up that is happening with a lot of folks because they're seeing it around like a, two years ago, even you know, people were like, what, you know, oh, sure. It's, you know, we talk about Facebook and Giphy and all these different things and these ideas and, yeah. and no one, it was easily discountable because everyone's like, well, look, I don't run, I'm not LinkedIn or PayPal. I run more than one application. So it's, it, it's not an easy fit. However, you're seeing those same folks create and build services that are shareable by other now enterprise companies. And you've got banks, investment banks that have more developers than the vendors that they buy software from. (laughs) So people Mm -hmm. are kind of, and they're sharing that back with the community. Oh, super awesome. You know, we are, all these good things are starting to happen. I think it's this neat thing. So when we look at, when you walk into an environment and you want to get them to understand and embrace this change, this new, this new, you know, lifestyle, this SRE lifestyle, what's the aha moment that you can, that you create that lets them kind of realize they're heading in the right direction, that it's going to be okay. Oh boy. Um, it's what we, what we see is it ends up being operational pipelines. Um, I wish I wish I knew there. I wish I could distill it to something that simple. So I'm going to take a step back uh, because w- what we see happening is the SREs are showing up with um, the aha moment that they're looking for is a pipeline um, where they can watch something go from code check in all the way through a process. Server gets deployed, right? It's just like what you get in the cloud. That's what that's the aha moment that that people are looking for from that perspective. But I mean, I, I was on a call this morning where we had three different audiences all with different priorities in this, you know, their aha moments were all different, right? There was one person who's like, I don't get the tech. I just want my systems to, you know, have fewer people touching them. And somebody else was like, all right, I want to be able to see how I add my custom script into your, your booting process. Same call. Um, same, you know, one audience, all three. And then they, with the person who brought us into the call was an SRE and they have, they're trying to sort of fight in between those two, those two battles. So the, the aha that you really want is for somebody to go like, look, it just, the whole system flows through a, a complete multi-stage process and, and, and good things exit on the outside. But that's not enough um, because there's people who realize their day job is I need to watch that process happen. I need to modify that process. I need to know what happens when it breaks. Um, and, and I really do wish that there was that one crystal moment. Um, this is back to our, our 15 minutes deep technical content. You're going to show something. You're going to show something that's like super cool. Um, 
And, and actually, in some ways, like Kubernetes has been able to demonstrate something like this really well. It's like, look, I, I type, you know, kube, kube uh, deploy, and my app is running in Kubernetes, and everybody's happy. And you go, oh, wow, I typed one command, and my app is running. Um, which is a, you know, that's, that's the aha moment. Uh, Eric, this might be one of those ones that I, I, I'm going to admit defeat uh, for now and say I, I don't have it. I might call you up and say, Eric, I got it. I got that shining moment. <laughs> that's right. No, um, and and it's actually it's kind of the reason why I pulled it out, and, and I I I I didn't mean to. I always hate to catch some you know you off guard because that's really the answer I think, and and it's more like a bit of confirmation <laughs> yeah. bias of you know there's a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ways in which someone's going to discover that you've solved a problem, and there's this aha thing, which is why it's the, such a challenge. I think it really just kind of lines up with what you were yeah. saying and what we see. I, I will say that uh, since we cut the provisioner, the digital rebar provision piece out, and somebody can do that five-minute demo and boot boot a machine and watch it self-register and then flip a flip a checkbox and watch it deploy an operating system, they they sort of they they they're like it doesn't feel complex and hard. It feels simple and easy, and that that's the struggle um, for SREs. Um, I think this is, this is the thing that Nessari has to be thinking about. They're doing something incredibly complex. Data center infrastructure is incredibly complex. It has a lot of moving parts. It's fragile. It crosses organizational silos, right? The, the, the dependency graph on an operating system is complex and messy and always breaking. It's, it's about, you know, it, it, it's really hard. <laughs> um, you know, BIOS has to be patched and servers have out of band management, so it's, you have to do it out of context. There's all sorts of crazy things to deal with. Um, and so the challenge that you get as an SRE is you're, you're driving towards simple, right? Click button, stuff happens. The amount of complexity that, that goes under the covers to make all that stuff go is it's very big. It's very scary. As soon as you show it to somebody, they get scared, viscerally scared. Um, and so our challenge is, as SREs, as operators, is to keep the plumbing invisible, right? Um, you know, show people how it's working, watch the gears turning and all that stuff, and then close the clock so you're just seeing the hands. That's right. <laughs> that's hard. That's, that's a very hard job. And I don't, you know, I like that SREs are sort of saying, look, we have to spend more time automating these processes. If it's, if it's, you know, a hamster wheel inside the clock turning, you're, that's, the clock's not going to keep time. It has to be gears and pendulums and, and all this stuff. And you have to give us time and budget and people to make the clock go or our site's not reliable. It's that simple an equation, right? It just... It, we do a bad job organizationally expressing it. And I think the, the goal of what SRE as a concept is, is solving, you know, and reaching towards, you know, really is, is, is I love it. I, I align to it very strongly because it's about ownership. It's about visibility. It's about right. transparency, about accepting that, you know, there are things that, it's it's very there's a lot of good stuff like you said i love this analogy like yeah open the clock you see there's all the stuff that's going on inside then you close and you're like okay perfect it's 248 i know what time it is now that's <laughs> right. not, and cuz that's all you really needed but we seem to 
we seem to depend on this love of like the reason it's 248 is because gear one and gear two are working and they're in a three to one ratio and the, like it's there's this sort of love by a lot of folks to to want it to happen and the other challenge we've got too is that you get someone who comes along and says well i've just architected this digital clock and that you need to throw that that old clock out and and that's what i call the 10x engineer and which if you find me a 10x right. engineer i'm going to find you nine people that wish that person would get fired <laughs> i love that i love that that statement yes that's right it's they they often leave a trail of 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 not bodies but a trail of people digging ditches behind them yeah um, and it's and it's a ter it's a tough thing because again conceptually what they, what it was aiming for i think was was good but it the it also it didn't leave success you know amongst the teams around it versus the sre approach is very much that it's it's an owned responsibility throughout the pipeline throughout the life cycle of all technology wrapped around it and that's definitely much more it's much more close to my the purity of where i believe we need to go in it one of the, one of the things that happened in devops i think five years ago is that developers did ops and then they walked away because their job isn't isn't doing dev it's doing dev it's not doing ops it's different priorities right i, I drew some ire on the internet saying dev and ops aren't going to aren't going to become a single department because developers are writing features and breaking things, operators are trying to sustain systems and keep things very smooth and regular. They're, they're in some ways opposed mindsets. They have the same goals. They want the, you know, companies to make money and applications to run and have great features, but different mentalities, and that's why they end up different, right? You and I uh, had a great conversation, and some of that got embedded in this uh, Capital One blog post I did about renegotiating the contract between dev and ops with an SRE mindset to say, all right, we actually have to figure out this handoff and, and make this cleaner. Um, and that, I mean, that, that's a whole nother conversation, um, but it's a really important thing for people to think about it. You know, developers do what developers do, operators do what operators do. There's this platform thing we're adding in the middle where you know, a developer might write code that breaks the platform. The platform might write, do something that breaks the code. Both teams have to get around the table and fix it. I don't care who, you know, that's DevOps, right? Get, get together, fix it. No blame postmortem. We're going to make everything better. And then you're going to go back to making the platform more reliable and making the code have more features. Yeah. And that's, and right, that's good. That's the way it should be. I, my my favorite conversation that just made me realize I was I was up against a wall one time was was speaking with a development uh, like a senior developer in in the team that I was working with and they said and I said like we're gonna I want to do a lot more like I want to make sure there's a completely repeatable infrastructure and covers so that you don't have to worry be concerned about what's happening wherever you go right it's going to look the same in dev look the same in QA look the same in prod and the answer I got back was we don't need that we already do it. And I was like, okay, I, I, I think perhaps you don't know what, what, what teamwork is here. <laughs> and and yeah. feedback loop isn't you saying, no, let me do this because you don't know how to. Like, and and I, it's very true, like you said. I, I want my developers to be really good at developing code. And I want my infrastructure operations folks to be really good at, at understanding infrastructure operations. And there's some crossover, but it's very rare that you'll find somebody who can do both in a great way and that's because it's a psychological thing i mean like we're we just we're physically and psychologically not built to necessarily be good at both things all the time right 
I, there was I, Charity Majors, going back to one of my favorite uh, SREs uh, uh, in the universe, um, did a really nice thing about management and being a worker or a manager, right? Different mindsets, different priorities. It, it, you know, people, you know, if you operate in one mode, putting out fires, helping people, you know, keeping things running, it often makes it very hard for you to then focus in the way that goes in the other mode of, of delivering product or doing work or writing features. Um, and, and individual people have trouble operating in both. There are people who, who do it, uh, who appear to do it very gracefully. Um, and I, it, it's, it's gotta be a struggle, right? I know as a startup, that's, we, we try and do that. And I know, you know, doing it with graces can be very hard. Um, there was a, there's a, there's sort of a placeholder. I was going to jump back. We've been going for a long time and, and I appreciate people who are, if you're hearing this word and you've stuck through this, this is awesome. <laughs> um, there's, there's an interesting thing on the clock analogy where I do think we have this great next conversation to have of, well, maybe there is a way that we can pull some gears out of that clock and keep the clock running simpler, but remove gears. Um, you know, with Kubernetes and containers and changing the way we think about inf immutable infrastructure or making infrastructure immutable. Um, and if we can take some gears out of that clock, then that's a good thing, right? That's, that's easier to maintain. Um, yeah, it's, there's definitely a, there's a, a very strong truth to that. And it'll also, it just feels more comfortable, I think, for folks as they, you know, it's, it's an interesting battle. It's an interesting conversation that especially, you know, Good on you for the challenges you must face because, you know, for folks that don't realize when you have to have this conversation over and over again with new people and, you know, you have to get them to embrace this thing. It's, it's not like running a church and being proud of your congregation. It's like running a church and saying that you need to replace the congregation every 30 days and, <laughs> and, and send a new set of believers at the door all the time. You're, you're constantly starting from ground up. So it's, uh, it's a it's a fun one, you know, but uh, it's it's got to be challenging, that's for sure. Yeah, it is fun. Well, with that, Rob, this is great. And again, you know, we uh, we went a little longer than normal, but that's because the, the good things were being said. Thank you very much for taking the time today. Uh, for My pleasure. That want to reach out, of course, go to rackn.com. Uh, you can find Rob. You're at Zeical uh, on Twitter, and you write a lot, which is great because I read a lot of your stuff, <laughs> a lot of other folks' stuff. Uh, you know, we'll we'll talk again very soon. We're going to dig in a bit further into some of those other things we talked about. Uh, and of course, for folks that want to to hear more, you can go back to episode forty two, uh, where we talked about spiraling ops debt and that that blog post and, and concept that initiated that first uh, that first podcast. And uh, it's I would definitely encourage folks to go back, have a listen, and uh, we actually transcribed it as well. So if you go to gcondemand.io, you'll actually see the full, there's a link to the full transcriptions. Take it and read it at will because it was one of those chats. I'm like, ah, this one needs to go into text mode. This is, this is very, very cool. It's super quotable. It's a lot to think about. Awesome. Well, thanks, awesome. Rob, and we will uh, we'll talk right, thank you. very soon. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? 
Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.